Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Thank you for being here. Happy 4th of July. Um, it's kind of snuck up on me. I don't know about anybody else, but she's like, wow, how do we, we get here so quick, huh? But a um, little history of 1776. Obviously, we're celebrating the birth of our, our nation, but the Liberty Bell was a bell that they rang and to, uh, it, for many, many years after that, actually, to celebrate uh, in like 18-something or other on George Washington's birthday is actually when it cracked, so I haven't used it since. But uh, the main thing is on that bell is Leviticus 25.10, bring freedom to all of the inhabitants, right, of the earth. And uh, folks... Um, I think written on walls and inscribed on buildings and everything all around this nation is the answer to our problem. We just have to pay attention, right, to what uh, made us um, a great nation, right? And, uh, and thank, uh, thank the Lord right, for what He's done and uh, wisdom for moving forward, right? Great, great wisdom for advancing forward. So, um, we are kicking off a new series. If you'll bring that first slide up here, Foundations um, is the name of it. We're going to be looking at, uh, for the next seven, eight weeks, uh, the first three chapters of Genesis and a little bit of the first three chapters of Romans. I encourage you, bring your Bibles. I know that might sound old-fashioned, but um, we got to get back to it in a journal. Pray that you'll dive in with us. Uh, we're looking at these two big issues that, uh, as a nation, we're struggling with. But, boy, we're really struggling, even as just as a church, the re- restoration, the renewal of wonder, the renewal of awe, right? Just this childlike joy and delight in what God has done and who He is and what He has for us. We see it all through the Scripture. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. As well as this understanding of human existence. We've lost... Where we came from, we've lost the idea of meaning and purpose in life, and we are unconnected uh, to that, and obviously it's a huge source of a lot of the problems today in our society, um, but all that's crept in, into even God's house. So we're going to really explore some of these foundational things. I hope you will journey with us, dive in, made the conversation, I heard some people that are taken out to lunch, they're going to dive in. Let the conversation continue. Let's encourage um, each other. The scripture tells us when we gather together, one of the important things of why we're together together regularly is to build each other up in the faith, to encourage each other. Every one of us needs encouragement. And uh, the, uh, the great thing is that the Lord of the universe, he knows where you're at. He knows exactly right this very second what's going on inside your soul, inside your life, what you need, what you're wrestling with. He sees. He's there. He promises when the church gathers. His power, His presence is with us, working, moving, encouraging, and growing us. And so let's just stand upon that as we see in the early church that all broke out, right? In the midst of, of God moving among his people. Uh, that's my expectation. I hope that we will all dive into that. So with that said, let me just pray for us. Father, we do call upon you, Lord. Um, Father, I'm going to throw a lot out just to kick this series off this morning. And Lord, um, Father, unless your spirit touches it, it will just be an intellectual exercise. It'll just be information, biblical knowledge. 
I ask the Holy Spirit that you'd move. The power of the Spirit would come and uh, with the truth of your word and just explode, Lord, in our hearts. Powerfully this morning, God. Waken us. Speak to us. Uh, Lord, you know. You know our hearts this morning. You know the needs. You know the struggles. You know the doubts. Father, I pray that you'll move supernaturally. Touch us like only you can, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, when was the last time that you really felt awe and wonder? I mean, really, I'm talking about existential here. Not just like, ah, that's really a beautiful day. Really, we're overwhelmed by awe and wonder. Um, we live in a place, obviously, that's there's God's beauty and creation all around us. Um, but, you know, living here, it's just like anything. Familiarity sometimes can, you know, breed, right? Can, you can miss it, right? Um, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, our son-in-law's family visiting, and they'd never been in the mountains. So we took them everywhere, and it was like children for them, it was just like this, wow, wow, you know, type of thing. And oh, about the second day into it, I started looking around going, man, this place really is awesome around here, right? I mean, it really is amazing, you know. And it just struck me like, wow, I, I, how, how I just gotten used to it. I haven't taken the time to stay in the awe as such of this incredible place that we live. I don't know about y'all, but when we, I fly back into this place, especially we were in Houston, I was, we were, I was doing the wedding of my niece down there, was that last Sunday? Yeah, last Sunday and 105, you know, <laughs> and, um, and then flying back into this place and just looking out the window. Oh, Lord. Oh, wow. You know, um, and so just this idea of maintaining and keeping the all. And folks, it is intimately connected to faith. If we lose awe, if we lose that childlike wonder, we miss. Faith starts dying. And moves us into a very intellectual, uh, empirical view of the world and our surroundings. And we miss the relational part of the universe. We live in a relationally infused universe. It's not just a bunch of atoms. Those atoms were created, right? All of this by a glorious God who loves us and desires a relationship with us. Created this for us to dwell in, to enjoy, to be in awe over and to steward well. And to work and to live with our God who infuses us with meaning and purpose. Um, Problem is that we are heavy, deep into uh, the consequences of a secular culture. Uh, we are following Europe um, on this. Um, most would say that we live in a secular, secular culture. It's happening quicker than we ever realized. Um, and that has crept into the church. And that's what I, I want us to awaken to uh, as God's people. This the, a restoration Right, an evaluation to understand the battle going on and to lean into God and to lean into His, His, uh, His grace, His love, His mercy, right, and His desire to bring awe and wonder among His people. Um, so, what I want to uh, read for you this morning, this is out of a book called *Sapiens*, New York Times bestseller. Anybody read it in here for a service? A couple of people, yeah. Um, it's by a guy named Yuval Nah Harari. Uh, he's an atheist. He's a materialist. Um, 
And this is the new, you know, Bill Gates, everybody's like, oh, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. <clears throat> you read the thing, it's just hardcore secular. In other words, uh, part of the move, whether it's in Europe or just in Western culture, is the first step of secularization is the mention of God has been sanitized out of public spaces. Then out of politics, then out of, philo- out of science. There's no room in science any longer for, uh, for God and Um, And then this secular culture just takes over. And so I just want to read this because what I really appreciate about this book, though I'm just like, wow, you know, it's out there uh, from a, you know, pure materialist, secular standpoint, is I appreciate his honesty. And uh, all through the book, he'll just have little caveats like, wow, okay, he's throwing these big questions out there, even as a secularist. And so um, this is at the very end of the book. This is the last verses of this book that um, he just goes through and gives a very evolutionary, purely materialistic view, atheistic view, secular view of society and life and everything else. Again, New York Times bestseller uh, around the world, actually. 70,000 years ago, Homo sapiens, that's us, were still an insignificant animal minding its own business in a corner of Africa. In the following millennia, it transformed itself into the master of the entire planet and the terror of the ecosystem. Today, it stands on the verge of becoming a god, poised to acquire not only eternal youth, but also divine abilities of creation and destruction. This is everything behind the hope behind AI and everything else going on, right? We are more powerful than ever before, but have very little idea what to do with all that power. We're still humans seem to be more irresponsible than ever. Self-made gods with only the laws of physics to keep us company. We are accountable to no one. We are consequently wreaking havoc on our fellow animals and on the surrounding ecosystem, seeking little more than our own comfort and amusement, yet never finding satisfaction. Is there anything more dangerous than dissatisfied and irresponsible gods who don't know what they want? Wow. That's honest. But you know, the sad part that grips me in reading through the book, and that's how it ends, right? Um, where's the hope? Where's space for faith, hope, and love? And the other thing is, every one of these questions is we're accountable to no one. Um, wow, is there anything more dangerous than satisfy irresponsible gods who don't know what they want? And I want to say, you know, every bit of your questions are answered as about as clearly as they can be right here. The answers are here. And there's only one There's only one book, there's only one revelation that can holistically, completely answer all of those questions historically, all through history, beautifully confirmed, and everything else. Um, There's only one. And does that sound familiar? Let's go back as we're going to look at Genesis 1 through 3 and Romans 1 through 3 in this series. Back to the beginning. And folks, if we get Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis wrong, we get everything else wrong in the Bible. It begins and lays the foundation for God's created order and function and purpose, right, in in the world. Um, And what does it say? We get to Genesis 3, and we know that the first temptation that is behind every temptation now is, right, Satan to Eve is like, come on, God's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. you. You can do better. You can be a God one day. And folks, this, this fits together like uh, incredible news. Right at the very beginning of the Bible, right, explains this is going to happen. 
Now, throughout all of history, no person has articulated that secular, that blatantly rejection of God, that blatantly revealing they've just hook, line, and sinker, taken the lie from the very beginning and trying to be God. And trying to, through our own means of science and technology, be that God, be that creator, right? And try to, quote, fix the problems in the world. And so with that said, let me just transition us to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, what I want to do is restore, right, a reading of this. I'm going to say some things that I think probably, maybe you've never heard this perspective before. Um, There's a whole bunch of new scholarship behind Genesis. Let me preface this by saying this, that um, the Bible was never intended to be a science book. Never. There's a thing called concordism, which is the idea of looking in the Bible and creating science, trying to show this is, you know, blending it with science. That was never God's intention. Nowhere in the entire Bible does God ever bring revelation of detailed science. He's writing this book to ancient Israelites. And they are in a context of of an ancient Middle Eastern, Arcadian Arcadian, uh, culture. He doesn't correct the worldview because the worldview is right, which is a supernatural worldview. Now... Science, folks, is a gift. It's an amazing gift from God. But the problem throughout history is that we have pitted science against the Bible. And anytime you do that, you will lose the culture battle. You will lose that effort. The Bible does not contradict any science. But the Bible is not a science book. So if we try to make it a science book, we're going to be in huge trouble. And we're going to get off mission of what God has called us to. And we're going to lose completely the purpose of the text. God in writing Genesis is giving us the fundamental foundation of life and meaning and creation and purpose. All the deep things of the heart and soul. He's not messing with science. And every bit of science out there will never disprove this wrong. Never has an archaeology or anything else. Right? Is That's a gift. And we should do our science in submission to the awe of God. Is that we, of all the people, can explain why we have science. Because God created an ordered universe. And he's given us this gift to use to hopefully better uh, life and to be back to Genesis. Go and be good stewards. Take dominion of this world. Use your science, right, to do to bring a blessing to this world, right? And uh, when we step outside and we put a higher, uh, let's just say, faith on science than we do on faith in this larger picture, boy, we lose our we lose our footing. We lose the awe. We lose the wonder, and ultimately, we lose faith itself. And folks, faith fundamentally is something supernatural. You cannot intellectualize it. You can't understand it. You can't explain it completely. It is a supernatural work of the creator of the universe who moves through his Holy Spirit and opens our eyes um, to see the darkness inside and illuminates our heart to, to see God and receive the Holy Spirit who comes and brings the light of God to our soul, to our spirit, And brings us alive to relationship with God. And that is a supernatural thing. It doesn't mean we set aside our intellect. Our intellect has to, what does it say? Worship the Lord with all of our mind, body, our spirit, everything. Right? But my intellect is flawed. And it must submit to faith. 
and truth, ultimately, of God's word. And uh, so with that said, let me just dive in, read for us. I'm stopping at verse 25. Next week, we'll dive in the last part of the creation of... um, uh, we'll come back to the creation of mankind itself. We're going to focus on that um, next week. Uh, so here we go. You ready? May the Lord's word come with power and with awe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we know the Bible does say everything that was ever created was uh, ex nihilo, which means from nothing, that God created it from the very beginning. Um, and here we see in the beginning there was some form of earth. That It says in the beginning, in other words, in the beginning of the creation of the seven days we're getting ready to explore, is that there was uh, already some creation. The earth, it was without form. It was void. And those are very dark words. There's something that's happened here. And darkness is over the face of deep. But the Spirit of God was hovering. Now we know once we get to chapter 3 that the enemy has fallen. The fallen angels, Satan had been rejected from heaven and he was on the earth. And part of that in brought darkness to God's creation, whatever form it was, right, at this time, somewhere right along the way. What I want to point out here is, is again, God's point in writing this was not to get into the science of the Big Bang or anything else. It was to, cre- to, to lay out a form and function, God's purpose, right, for this earth and the larger picture of creation. Moving to day seven, the Sabbath, which is where God comes in his presence to fill the temple. The creation account is the account of the creation of a temple. God's dwelling with us. And then, through that fellowship, sending us out to take dominion of his creation and use science and all the other blessings to do something beautiful with it. Expand the Garden of Eden out from creation. And folks, this is all the way back to Revelation. This is where God is going to bring it back to, right? Um, And bring completion, ultimately, to this. But this is also a picture, folks, of our soul. Do you know that? When Adam and Eve rejected God, and they were cast outside the garden. At that moment, the scripture tells us that they, the relationship with God was breached. Their soul now was in darkness. The light of God was no longer inside their soul. And there was a, a breach there. And this is the same, the same thing. The tohum bohu, these words describe something that's been traumatized. Something that's been broken and, and, and hurt and everything. And darkness and the scripture says, without the light of God, we live in darkness. It tells us that Jesus rescues us from this present darkness and puts us into his kingdom of light. And the spirit of God is hovering. And folks, it's the same thing that's going on. The spirit of God is still hovering. He's hovering over God's creation. Um, the pinnacle of that being human beings created in his, in his image. And he's hovering. And he's looking to come and bring renewal. And what does the New Testament call it when we're saved, when we're born again? That he would bring what? A new creation. You are a new creation. If you know Jesus, if right you have received him as Savior and Lord, if you've been born again, the Spirit of God comes in and brings the light of God and brings a new creation. This is God's work in, in the gospel. So God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, what's going on here, right? The moon and the sun are not created till the fourth day. What is this creation of light? Folks, all through the Bible, there's something bigger going on here. This isn't science, right? This is, right, the glory of God. What does it say? All the way to the back of the book of Revelation in the new creation, it says, boy, that the glory of God, the light of God will outshine the sun. We will never be in darkness again because we will be reunited with a God. The scripture says no darkness. No darkness cannot exist with God. And so there's something spiritual happening here and there's also the creation of time. God is creating, he is forming a functioning creation and doing everything. If you know about the anthropic principle and all these other things, you know what? The degree of the axis, one little tweak in our axis, boom, life disappears. It's amazing. It is, that science should bring awe and wonder, right? As all science ultimately should, to the glory of God that this place in all the universe that we know of just has been created with this incredible uh, ability to host life, and uh, in his creation, in his image, which is us, to share, right, in all of that. And so this idea of light in the beginning, it begins with he's putting time. He's separating things out. And uh, he goes on and says this, and God said, verse 6, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it be separated by the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and um, it was evening, and there was morning the second day. Um, so now he's bringing in, he's, he's uh, moving to make the atmosphere, right? How we, you know, again, the wonder of our atmosphere and weather and the rain seasons, all these things creating, right, space that maintains life. You've got to have time. And there's a whole other thing we maybe get into, the idea of time and eternity. If you think about the awe, where did time come from? Time is a relational thing. Time means nothing unless it's relational. Just purely empirical look at time will lead you down a, a, a meaningless dark place. Time is relational, right? I want to spend time with you, right? Why, why do we even count time? We're such built on, on, you know, today, tomorrow, everything else. Because God, again, wants to dwell with us. Jesus entered our time to bring what? Eternal life. That we would have the capacity to live with an eternal God who lives outside, right, of time. Uh, well, like I said, we'll come back to that concept. But here, God is creating weather. And he goes on, verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens gather together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw it was good. Again, all through here, when God says it is good, uh, the principle there is it's functioning. He's bringing order to chaos. And folks, that's what the Spirit of God does, even in our life. He brings, when the Spirit moves, He brings order, He brings shalom, peace to our chaos. That is God's heart for you. He shows it here in the very beginning of bringing order to the universe and into this. You need time, you need weather. As we're going to see, you need food. You need something to sustain you, right? And this is what he's getting ready to do. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. 
And God said, let there be lights in the expanse. So here now we're going out to the, uh, out into space as such. And the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be signs for seasons. Again, uh, we don't have time, but the idea of seasons is God here in the very beginning, this ties in the Old Testament where God called his people to gather together at certain seasons to remember him and his glorious work. Why does Hebrews 10 say, do not forsake gathering together? It's a season. It's the rhythm of our walk with God that's built into the very idea of creation itself. And let them be signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights to the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens. And I got to stop here. You know, again, if you just, just get in awe, right? If you're a scientist, I, I just blows my mind to look at these things. Now, I think, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the newest physics and understanding is that the universe is expanding. It's growing. Stars and galaxies. That God hasn't stopped creating. What did Jesus say? My father, he's still at work. He's still creating. And you say, why so much space? That's the whole point. We're small. He's big. He's a glorious God. And think about eternity as God. All through eternity that you get to, we get to experience more of his creative insight into, you know, I think it is like a scientist. What, how, what an incredible deal when you, can you imagine Edison, who go whoever, right? Boom, there's the light bulb. Can you imagine the excitement, the awe of, wow, we've just created light. This, how this is going to bless, you know, creation. Can you imagine in eternity what that's going to look like? With our God revealing these things, this is what He wants. He wants to partner with us, take dominion of this earth, right? And to partner with Him. And God made, um, verse 17, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day, over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water swarm with. Um, uh, living creatures and let the birds fly over the, the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and uh, every living creature that moves with which um, the waters swarm according to their kinds. Every wing. Our God is a creative. Where do we get creativity from? God is just vastly creative, endlessly creative. And he, because we're creating his image, part of that is, is in us. Winged birds according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters in the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, the beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there's like a painter. You can imagine God just like, phew, well, let's do that. You know, whatever. Um, then God said, let us make man. And so we'll pick up there next week because we're going to hone in next week just on us. Created in his image. Foundational aspects of understanding. We've lost that understanding today. So with that said, let me dive in with some things. First of all, are we living with a supernatural biblical view rather than a natural realistic view? This idea of having awe, living in awe for faith to come alive, 
for the joy, the childlike joy and delight. To be enchanted is this word that means be delighted, be in awe with things all around us as we've been disenchanted by our secular culture and many other things. And faith has just fallen to some intellectual banter rather than the magnitude of what it is. It's instilled by the Spirit of God. It is something profoundly you can't explain. You can only existentially right, uh, experience right what is going on and that's what God desires he's doing a new thing right inside our, our soul as I said before nothing in this Bible folks the uh, from the beginning to the end is a supernatural worldview and this has been robbed because simply every one of us has been an educational system that has removed God from the public square removed God from science and has demystified the idea of the miraculous and the impossible uh, and that is, we're so radically different than every culture this was written to. And to follow God, to understand his word, to walk with God, I have to move into a purely supernatural worldview. There is no category. Now, this is really important. There is no category for natural law or things that are natural or things that are, are separate, right, than the supernatural Every bit of this universe is breathed out, right, by God himself. The atom itself, what's the force? Colossians says, he's the one who holds it all together. And this childlike faith is to restore a supernatural worldview and to walk in that. And folks, when that's robbed, we lose faith. We, our faith crumbles to something that it was never, right, ultimately meant to be. The other one is this, are we living with the biblical idea that we need revelation about meaning and purpose more than science? I want you to think deeply about that. How are we living? What do we need more? Do we need more science? Do we need more? You just apply this to any aspect in life. What do you, what do we really need more? Right? These things aren't against each other. It's just which priority? Which one do I need more? And again, God's word, he's given to us. It's in a science book. God knew, he knows, created in his image to live a flourishing, fulfilled life in fellowship with him. The primary thing that we need is revelation, intimate knowledge of our creator at the core being of our soul, things that science knows nothing about. Things that only a supernatural worldview, a glorious God through the power of spirit will move, right, and do inside us. Now we have a proper perspective on our science, right? Does that make sense, gang? All of what we just read here in Genesis is, again, the primary thing is about function. Function is more important than materials any day. The purpose, why something is doing what it's doing is always more important than just the material itself, right? So uh, just use the eyeball, right? We know now all these crazy little things that have to happen, right, for a healthy eyeball. But the awe is we can see. Do you ever think about that? You can see. You can perceive colors and all these other things. And wow, that's amazing. You can see. No matter all the materials that come to it. So what's more important, ultimately? I can see. And this is the point of God's revelation. Function over materials. Purpose and meaning, right? Over just the materials or the formula of science, right? All right. Romans. Let's jump over to Romans. This is 120. And here, before this, Paul's just said, 
Man, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to anyone who would believe, right? Um, And then he goes down to this part and he says this pretty amazing statement. The word of God says in Romans 1.20, for his invisible, this is God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. That's mankind throughout all time. Boom. Without excuse. No one can say, well, God hasn't done this for me or that for me, is that we all. And, and so I just challenge you to think about that real quick because when I read that, part of me goes, wait, they're clearly seen? God, how is, your, how, how is your eternal power, your divine nature clearly seen in what has all been created? And, and I just throw that out simply because that shows how far we are as Westerners from a biblical worldview of awe and wonder and thinking about the important things. That we don't clearly understand clearly. His power is evident. His divine nature is evident. And, and folks, here's the, the phenomenal thing, right? Is Second Peter says that we're called and created to share in his divine nature. Do you know that? He's sharing. He wants to share his nature, his power. He wants to share his power with the church, with you. That's, you. We can't be saved outside a move of the Holy Spirit. Power in our life, creating a new creation, bringing new life, being born again into this relationship with God through Jesus. His, he shares his power. He shares his divine nature. That is our God's heart. And that should be awe-inspiring. And I just throw that out to you. Is Boy. Are you living in awe and wonder when it comes to the gospel? When it comes, those of you who know Jesus, to the magnitude of what God has done for you? Do you realize what he's done for you? Do you realize what you've been saved from? Rescued from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun, into the light. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit has come in and awakened your spirit to, to see God? To have spiritual eyes. To have the assurance that your God loves you. That's being born again. We'll come, we'll come back to that. Alright, so let me just take us on a little journey here on this idea of awe, the restoration of awe as a key element of faith and in the church, right? Because um, I, I, I think, at least when I looked at this, this was kind of shocking to me because I've always been like, Lord, bring the awe. Lord, bring your presence. Lord, do something. Please come move. Be with us. Whatever the prayer is. Like, come Lord Jesus, right? Come Holy Spirit. Um, what, what I was shocked to see was that actually is our responsibility to bring the awe. So look at this. Psalm, and I, I'm just giving you a few. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. How often do we stand in awe? Folks, do you realize that? We'll come to it in just a minute. But part of worship is we're to stand in awe of the great things. Why we sing of his wonders. I'm to bring that sense of childlike wonder when I come to worship. Psalm 65a. So that those who dwell in the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. All of creation is just back to Romans, right, one. Everything out there, all of what we see here in Aspen, it is shouting the glory of God. And all of it, it is there to bring Him glory, right? Are we a part of that grand worship? Are we part of creation coming and letting it bring, all right, glory to God? Psalm 119, 161, this is David. 
And he's talking about his own personal experience. Princes persecute me without cause, you know, in his, his battle for the king and everything. But he says this, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Folks, when was the last time that your Bible, when you opened your, the scriptures in the morning, that you just were in awe, oh, Lord, your word. This is the revelation of God. This is the creator's words. In awe of your word. And when we hear it taught or preached or in study, there should be, I'm responsible to bring to that a sense of great awe in all that. And folks, throughout all of history, we, of all the people on earth, not number one, we're the most affluent people to ever walk on the face of the planet. We're also the most, um, have more access to the scriptures than ever, ever anybody in the history of the world. Matthew 27, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and who took place, they were filled with awe. Truly this was the Son of God. When you think of Jesus, in the song we sung that Jacob led us in, um, could you say, Jesus, I love you? Are you just singing a song? Or was there some sense of, of your spirit and heart engaged? I love you, Jesus. Were you overwhelmed with the awe of how much God loves you, and in turn, how much we love Him. Acts 2, all through the book of Acts, and all came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done. The apostles, the awe of the Holy Spirit. How much, how much when you think of the Spirit and you press in and call upon the Spirit, is there a sense of awe? In Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, listen to this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Folks, I, I just think this is just a passage for our day. Well, we have a kingdom. It's eternal. It cannot be shaken, right? And that should be our focus. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. Is that how we worship? So that's what's happening in the American church. Do we come to church with a sense of reverence? Our God's a consuming fire. He's the creator of all the universe. A deep reverence for holiness, for a God, and a sense of awe and wonder at his glory. That's what he asked for. That's our responsibility. I wonder why maybe there's not as much experiential awe in the church. We're not getting the basics, maybe. We need to restore, right, some of this. All right, I'm going to show you something here. Take a picture not going to take too much time. Just want you to think about it. Here are the four primary things I believe that are attacking the church today, attacking faith today, that will rob us of awe, okay, in a, in a big way. The kingdom of God is what Jesus preached. That is what the church, we should be what? Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not an earthly kingdom. I'm going to say it again. Not an earthly kingdom. Our priority is the kingdom of God. And to seek it first and to model it in this world regardless of what nation or what people we live among is the kingdom of God. And all of these are attacking it. Christian rationalism been around. These all been around a long time. Which just again is this idea that somehow apologetically if I can just prove the Bible scientifically or prove it in a debate that a culture or people will be won over. Not going to happen. Nobody has ever come to Jesus with a logical argument. It is a supernatural thing that only God does. We're called to be witnesses of his great love and what Jesus has done for me. Right? Christian sensationalism, hey, let's entertain them. Let's, we'll create some awe. 
Let's get them in here and we're going to put on a light show. We're going to just blow them out of the water. We're going to entertain them. We're going to sensationalize this. We're going to get charismania. We're going to, you know, just try to whip it all into being. Right? We live in the entertainment age. That's, ne- that's going to rob all every time. God will have nothing to do with it. And I believe he's cleaning it out right now. Christian progressivism, folks, this is the idea that we are going to tell God what his word says. Right? We are going to, it's just another way of back to the same old lie. We're going to be gods. What culture, what I like to do, what my flesh likes to do, I'm going to impose that on his word, right? And of course, this last one, Christian nationalism. Now, this one's tricky. This is a big one though, right? So I want you to listen carefully to me, right? Is that when we walk out that door, as Americans, we need to be the very best citizens on the planet. We should be involved in every aspect of citizenry, politics, local government. We should be working for the righteousness and justice in this land. Okay? I think we're all in agreement. When we become the church, this house, the house of God, is about the kingdom of God. It is not to share its glory or its influence with any worldly kingdom. Jesus made that very clear. And this will rob faith and rob the church from what it's called to be. Does that make sense, gang? It's really important to understand what's happening right now. Let's go and do some incredible things. We've had some big things happen recently, right? We need to work on those. But the church, when we gather, we're the people of God and our kingdom that cannot be shaken, we build each other up and we seek first the kingdom of God. Hebrews 13, it goes on to say, we have no lasting city. This is Hebrews 13, verse 14. We have no lasting city. We have no lasting nation. We wait on the kingdom of God. We are citizens of heaven first and foremost. Does that make sense, gang? It'll be some great lunch dialogue, okay? Take that, wrestle with it. All right, here we go. How do we get, in ending this, how do we get and stay in awe? Part of this is Kierkegaard's flow of life. And folks, we all come in this aesthetic life. It starts there. I just need to meet a desire. I need to live for my flesh. I need to be satisfied. I'm going to go live for what makes me happy, right? Hedonism, everything, right? A child is this way. They just need food. They're living for just, they're fulfilling their desire. As we grow, we realize, hey, I need some unity in my life. I need some structure to my life. I need, I need some identity. I need to, so I move to an ethical life. I start to try to do the right things. I start to pr- try to put a plan for my life together and, and how this is all going to work. And, and when, when we're hit with the big existential questions in life, suffering, death, right? All of these things. Then I start, my soul starts searching for more. And this is when I move into the religious life and I start saying, wow, what am I going to do with guilt? What do I do with shame? What do I do with, with death? What do I do with my longing for forever? And all these things that moves me into this religious thing. Sadly, many Christians have just stay right there. They're stuck in the religious thing. They're stuck in that thing and they've not moved into um, the Holy Spirit led life to be led by the Spirit of God. To trust in Him, to realize what it is to have the Holy Spirit bring life, right? As the scriptures talk about in Galatians, be led, keep in step with the Spirit of God, right? And again, the gospel answers all these questions. So, Dirt, y'all come on up. Um, I just want to end with these truths, folks. And this idea of awe and wonder. Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, 
You cannot see the kingdom of God. I ask you this morning, have you been born again? This is not some fluffy language. This is Jesus' words. You must, I must be born again. I need to have a radical transformation of my identity, of of the power source of my heart and everything else. This is what he told Nicodemus. He says this in Mark 10, 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child cannot enter it. If you think you can explain your way or intellectualize your way into the kingdom of God, into salvation, not going to happen. Never will. Faith requires a radical trust, childlike faith and dependence on a loving God. And all through the scripture, it keeps him, be filled. Be filled, church. Be filled with the spirit of God. Be filled with the awe of God. As a child of God, right? And to just be realized how loving our God is. When was the last time you were in awe with how much God loves you? Now we have a love problem today, don't we? In other words, people are struggling radically in realizing their identity and how much God loves them. Why is that? Where is the awe? Everything I've thrown up here, many of the reasons why we're, we're struggling. But you know what? They need to meet a person who's deeply, passionately in love with Jesus. You know how that awe is transferred? How somebody understands how much God loves them? They meet somebody who is just radically overwhelmed in awe with the love of Jesus. And that love just gets on them. That's how God works. That's how the gospel moves. You know that? Faith to faith. And so folks, our, our role is to be those people. Overwhelmed with the love of God and what Jesus has done. Right? So, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Holy Spirit, come just bathe it, set it deep inside our hearts. Let us be those people who are just so overwhelmed in awe, Lord, with your love for us, Jesus, with what you've done for us and what you're going to do for us and doing for us. Let's be those people who, Lord, just, it just overflows. The gospel the love of God, the mercy and grace of Jesus. Lord, restore all to our lives. Childlike faith. And Lord, if anybody's here and they haven't, Lord, they're unsure that they're born again. In other words, it doesn't matter if you've been in church your entire life. It doesn't matter what denomination, but it doesn't matter if you've served in leadership. None of that matters. Have you been born again? Is there a transformation in your life that had moved you from trying to make sense of life to one where you rest in the arms of God trust his love and are led by his spirit Lord restore the awe and your love and that most glorious relationship and idea Lord that you want a relationship with us wow Lord come meet the deep needs of each of our souls this morning awaken us God Love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.